May is Fibromyalgia Awareness Month. It's important to raise awareness about this chronic and often debilitating invisible illness known as fibromyalgia. This month-long campaign is an opportunity to educate people about the symptoms, causes, and treatments of fibromyalgia, as well as to show support for those living with these and other related invisible illnesses. Through increased awareness, we can work towards better understanding and management of fibromyalgia and ultimately improve the quality of life for those who are affected by it. And now on to this week's episode. On this week's episode, we will get to hear from Dr. Afton Hassett. She is a doctor of psychology with expertise in chronic pain. She has worked with patients as well as actively doing research to help advance our understanding. She is at the University of Michigan and is also author of the book, Chronic Pain Reset, 30 Days of Activities, Practices, and Skills to Help You Thrive. On this week's episode, we're going to build the foundation in understanding chronic pain. And then in next week's episode, in part two, we will go through some of the 30 days of activities and practices and skills to help you thrive better with chronic pain, fibromyalgia, and related problems. This book comes with high reviews, including from Dr. Daniel Claw, the Professor of Anesthesiology, Rheumatology, and Psychiatry, and Director of the Chronic Pain and Fatigue Research Center at the University of Michigan Medical School. He writes, I can't think of anyone better to help guide people with chronic pain towards wellness than Afton Hassett. Kind and compassionate, she writes with great warmth and humor. Take a daily journey with her for a month, and some of these simple strategies most that you have never imagined could impact your pain, will help you so much that they'll become part of your daily routine. And a quick disclaimer, remember that while I am a doctor, I am not your doctor. All signs and symptoms should be discussed with your own individual physician. I hope that this podcast and the book are great starting points on your journey to live better with fibromyalgia and related illnesses. And now on to this week's episode. First of all, really excited to have you. I have was inspired by Dr. Claw, and of course, I'm guessing you work, I've been working right alongside him. Yes. And what drew to me to this whole field was this interest in often these very frustrating and misunderstood patients that during my lifetime as a doctor and through work that you guys are doing has really been helpful. And I wrote a book because you guys didn't write a book. I said, why doesn't Dr. Claude just write a book? I'm glad you and, did. <laughs> so I'm like, and I think some, I don't know. I, I don't know if I got a message that, oh, he's too busy doing research, but I was so glad to get connected with you because I wanted to, one, just show my appreciation for all the research that you do. I've never actually done research, but I love reading about research and all of the things that you guys are doing is really good and so needed. I'm going to just introduce you here, but really was excited when this book came out. And uh, part of why I do the podcast and why you write the book is to try to get that evidence-based message out there, trying to share that. And I think our brains work very similarly. 
We are kindred spirits and familiar with your book and and (laughs) your philosophy. And I just didn't know it was inspired by Dan. That's awesome. (laughs) When I say inspired is that there were things I was reading and then I went to probably, I don't know, 13, 14 years ago, he went to American College of Physicians Conference, presented the Internal Medicine Conference and presented there. And he's, of course, done presentations. and And then I used to just give that YouTube link to my patients that yeah. he does that he would share. And I'd say, okay. And uh, it still wasn't enough. And then I wanted to add more and more to some of the th- intersection of things. But I am going to introduce you just okay. because uh, get this thing started and have I'm so excited. And uh, if I forget to tell you, tell Dan that Dr. Lenz really uh, admires all of his work. And I am really excited to have Dr. Afton Hassett. She is a doctor of psychology or PsyD, P-S-Y-D, is an associate professor and director of pain and opioid research in the Department of Anesthesiology at the University of Michigan. She is a principal investigator at the Chronic Pain and Fatigue Research Center, who has over $14 million of research funding from the National Institutes of Health, also known as the NIH. Viewed as a leader in the field of viewed as a leader in the field of chronic pain and resilience. She recently gave the keynote address at the 2023 Pain Consortium Symposium on Advances in Pain Research for the NIH. While studying established treatments for chronic pain and developing new approaches is her passion. Her frustration is that exciting research discoveries rarely make it to the people who could benefit the most. Thus, Dr. Afton's mission was to write Chronic Pain Reset to bring evidence-based strategies from research and academic medical settings directly to people who live with chronic pain with the hope that they will gain new tools to lead more rewarding lives with less pain. So welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited for this conversation. We are indeed kindred spirits. Yeah, so excited. So you have so much experience working with this and research, and you're right, trying to bring this to people. Not everybody, unfortunately, gets to work directly with you. You can't take care of everybody, and let alone in the Ann Arbor area, let alone in Michigan, let alone in the country and the world, and trying to bring these resources for patients and their loved ones, and also for physicians and other medical professionals to help provide the best care. Um, So what drew you into the world of chronic pain? How did you get interested in that? (laughs) It's interesting. We were talking about uh, Dr. Daniel Claw, who is a very noted uh, researcher and physician. He's a rheumatologist by training, but who has um, become one of the foremost uh, um, researchers in, in fibromyalgia. And I was a youngster. I was still doing my, my doctoral coursework. And I was at the UCSD Medical Library looking through journals on pain and I found an article that he had written back, I think it was like in 1996, he had co-written it with a gentleman from the NIH, and it was just a beautiful overview of the neurobiology of fibromyalgia. And to me, that was so exciting because people at that point were very passionate that fibromyalgia was not a real illness, that it was a psychiatric disorder. And he just wrote so eloquently and passionately that this is something we're starting to understand. It appears to be a pain processing at the level of the brain. And this was really early, even before some of his biggest discoveries. 
But at that point, he was thinking about it, and he so beautifully sewed together the um, elements of thoughts and emotions and behaviors, but biology, and truly stating that this is a unique medical entity, and we should think about it as such and research it as such. And reading that article, I was a convert. <laughs> so I was like, I want to do this. I, I redeclared my dissertation. I decided to do my dissertation in pain in fibromyalgia versus rheumatoid arthritis and kind of thinking about how emotions and thoughts might be contributing. And if they're where they do, they contribute in different ways amongst an inflammatory disease versus fibromyalgia. And I've been doing that ever since. Awesome. Thanks so much. And getting paired with a great team that you're with, what are some of the biggest misunderstandings that you've come across that patients have without having any foreknowledge of reading your book or being into this, the average person who's coming in? What are maybe some of the more common misunderstandings patients have about chronic pain? I think one of the big misunderstandings is that nobody knows what the heck is going on. <laughs> and I think what's so cool is we finally are getting our hands on it and we are starting to understand what is going on. And because we can now understand, I keep saying neurobiology, but I really think that's the brain, that's the physical, the, the physical body, it's the biological elements. All of it comes together and really forms kind of a biological substrate for what fibromyalgia is. And we are starting to understand what those pieces are. And by doing that, we can also start to devise more effective treatments. So that's the first thing I think that is a misunderstanding. Another is that there's nothing I can do to help myself. There, there really isn't. I, I need, I don't know what this thing is. I need a drug. I need a pill. I need something. And what is so remarkable and what I try to convey in this book is that with what we understand about the brain, that it's amazing what powers people already have within them. <laughs> and it's tapping into those powers to help them be able to not only cope better with the pain, but actually knock back or even even be able to truly dampen some of the pain signal and the experience of pain. So you will feel less pain. And in some cases, depending on the intervention, you could even have periods of time where you don't have pain. And again, it's because of this fibromyalgia-like pain and how we understand it to be generated, at least amplified by the brain, that if we can start disrupting some of these networks, by doing these things that we can do ourselves, we can actually begin to think about a life with infinitely less pain and maybe for some people, even a life with no pain. Yeah. And it is, our brain is the most complex thing in the whole universe. Yeah. yeah. And it makes it really hard, but yet at the same time, and this is a delicate balance. Often you it's been said, it's all in your head. And that, what do you say when you, uh, or when patients may come back and say, so you're saying it's all in my head, or maybe physicians may have said it's all in your head. Yeah. I think that's one of the, one of the hardest things I think for patients to say, be opportunity to hear because they know what their experience is. They're having this experience. You're like, you don't truly comprehend or understand what it is like to feel the pain that I'm experiencing. And you're trying to tell me, basically, I'm making it up or I've got control over it. And that has got to be just devastating. We don't say that to people who come in with heart attacks. They have something that's happening. There's something biological that's taking place and we're not putting the impetus on them for making up something. We just think about chronic pain from the medical and clinical 
communities differently. And I think to some degree, it really does create a great disservice. And I think it's something else that came out of my mouth a moment ago when I said that, that perhaps we can have a place where you would have no pain. We, don't, we actually don't want a world with no pain. Pain serves a purpose. And, and people who don't have nociceptors that don't detect pain actually don't live very long. It, it's really an important survival function. What we don't want is we don't want chronic pain that does not really serve a purpose. Yeah, it can disrupt life. And it's a delicate balance because when we say we have control, it also can, a message could be saying that somebody perceives that they're causing it, they're invited it. And sadly, mm-hmm. many people, as I'm guessing the research and reading your book, there is a genetic susceptibility that mm-hmm. makes somebody more susceptible. And then one of a various type of stress events can unmask, so mm-hmm. to speak. Yeah. That- there seems to be a trigger. It seems like there is some vulnerability, some genetic vulnerability. And and it's hard for us to know. There's been a lot of work looking at particular SNPs, particular genes, and we can't really hang our hat on any one of them. It's been a little bit of fool's gold, but there is enough of them that keep coming up that we do have the sense that we might be close to at least understanding a family of of genetic markers that that that, that could be underlying. But the sheer fact that we see in family studies and in many families, there is chronic pain across. It could be inflammatory pain. It could be other types of pain, but this is chronic pain phenotype within families. That kind of tells us something important about the potential of a genetic underlying process. And then what we often see, like many disorders, is that something comes along and may trigger it. There's often a triggering event for people with chronic pain. It could be an accident. It could be in a car accident. It could be a traumatic event, say a crime attack or something that happens like that. It can even be an illness. We very frequently see people who have an infectious disease will continue to have persistent symptoms. About 10 to 15% of almost any infectious disease seems to result in kind of a syndrome of pain, fatigue, cognitive fogginess, poor mood. And we look at COVID, post-COVID, and that feels also to be some of the same that what we've seen with with chronic Lyme and Epstein-Barr and these other infectious triggered chronic pain conditions. Yeah, so I, I think that's pretty much on the mark. And, and you'll ask people too, what happened? What was going on? Sometimes they say nothing. They say, I went to bed and I woke up feeling like a truck hit me. It was awful. But other people will say, yeah, no, I was really sick for a few weeks and then I just never really felt better and then it got worse. Or, or others will say that, you know what, I went through the worst divorce and I didn't sleep well and it was very awful and I was so incredibly stressed. And I think that's what started it. So, you know, people have very diverse stories, but it's not an uncommon that it will be some sort of traumatic event or at least a, a really stressful event that preceded the new symptoms. And when you're working one-on-one or other psychologists and or clinicians are working mm-hmm. one-on-one, what role does hearing a full story preceding and building up play? And for people who are listening, what role do you feel that is for them maybe writing out their narrative, their story? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Dr. Lenz. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for future topics, I'd love to hear from you. You can easily text me through the link in the show notes. 
I look forward to hearing from you. Also check out the starter pack. And now back to the episode. I, I have two minds of this. One of the frustrations we have with people that we see at the University of Michigan, there's so many places they can go to get care. And they find that they tell their pain story to so many people. It's just exhausting. Can you guys talk to each other? So we've actually tried to unify our clinical approach and create what our patients call their pain story and help them write it so it exists and goes with them. And then they can update and share more. So I think that's really useful. But for somebody who's newly diagnosed, telling the story, I think, is so powerful. And having somebody that is willing to hear the story and pick up threads that could be meaningful. You could hear that this, could, this came after a, you know, a, a series of bad nights of sleep. And perhaps that tells you something and, you know, pings your clinical assets. Sometimes people um, develop these symptoms after they've not exercised for a, a long period of time. And now they're getting deconditioned. We've actually done studies at the Chronic Pain and Fatigue Research Center where we've deprived healthy, young, healthy individuals of both sleep, kept waking them up every hour or so, and exercise. These were regular exercisers. And within a few weeks, they developed a very fibromyalgia-like looking syndrome. They're achy and painful and fatigued and can think. We know these things are incredibly important. And that goes back to some of the early research in fibromyalgia in the 60s, 70s, when they were yeah. doing on a smaller case and the role of exercise in that. And neat to share that. Maybe if you happen to have a link to that study, you can send it and be can post yeah. it on there. And when you get a chance to, as you share in your book, which I really like, is vignettes and clinical pearls that everybody's story is different, but oh, that one that relates. And similar to, I think you mentioned, maybe it was on a, on your, in your book or one of the YouTube videos where your husband found had some chronic pain issues mm-hmm. and then recognized when there were some stress, I think a family member who was, mm-hmm. I think his mom was going through cancer treatment and had some bad news a day or two before the pain really started to set in. And I've often noticed mm-hmm. that sometimes there's a delay or two. It's almost like God gave us a ability to have a cushion for a day or two to not give us severe pain. But now oh, no. when the dust is clear, now I'm going to message yeah. you, don't, yeah. you did, don't do that. Yeah, it's so powerful. When we think about what we, we call it nosoplastic pain, that's actually the International Association for the Study of Pain's name. Well, we, we as a group, we put our name on it, but we're like, oh, we don't know if we love it. But really what it means is no C for nociceptors, plastic, the brain is incredibly malleable. And one of the manifestations of nosoplastic pain is this really tight tie to emotional stress. And there is one form of therapy. It's actually part of EAET, which is a, an emotional, emotion expression therapy. It's called pain reprocessing therapy. And what it does is it helps people recognize that their pain signal is often being amplified by their stress response system. And in, in that case, we recognize that type of pain by the fact that it comes and goes and that it is extremely intense when it arrives. And so my encounter with this you brought up was with my husband who had, unfortunately, both of his parents were diagnosed with cancer within two months of each other. We lost his father and soon after his mother began to deteriorate, he developed just debilitating back pain. I, it, he, it would take his breath away 
And he never had a lick of pain before in his entire life. He's an athlete. He's extremely healthy, fit. And it was just devastating. And the attacks would last from minutes to hours to days. And he would just be bedbound. They were so severe and so painful. And I was really starting to worry about him. And I was a trainee at the time. And I was talking to my supervisor and I said, Marion, Dr. Stewart, I, I'm so worried. I have no idea what, what, what is, what's happening. And she pointed out to me, she says, do you think it might have something to do with the stress he's under with his parents dying, his father dying, and he's taking care of his mom? And I, I thought maybe I didn't really see the connection right away, but I thought, yeah, he's not sleeping. And that kind of makes sense to me. And so he, she says, the next time he has an attack, ask him what he was going through his mind right before it happened. And so we were at the, we were at the shopping mall, the outdoor mall, it's when we lived in San Diego. And boom, he was, he all of a sudden could not breathe. And we barely made his way over to a, to a, a, a stone bench there and sat down. And I put my hand in his, in his hand and I said, hey, what was going through your head right before this happened? And he looked at me like, are you crazy? I can't breathe here. And he thought about it. He said, I was just thinking about mom. And, and how terrible this is and how I, I, and I'm so powerless. And also I'm, I'm furious. I'm so furious. I'm furious. At, I'm furious at life. I'm furious at the disease. I'm furious at her. You know, she's always, she's his, his rock. Isn't she was a tomboy for, before tomboys were cool. She was one tough lady and she was just so, so fragile and vulnerable. And he was so put off by those emotions that um, he almost couldn't express them to me. And as soon as he said the words, the pain went away. And he's like, well, because that. <laughs> and it was so powerful. So we don't understand what that is. It doesn't mean he was making up the pain. It doesn't mean the pain was in his head. It is the brain sending signals of pain. Not entirely unlike it does when somebody has phantom limb pain. The brain has a representation of the body and it's in, in, in its capacity and it can emit pain signals or amplify even even not to knock to stimulate and to make it just feel like it's something incredibly painful. And so this is just one of many manifestations, but pain reprocessing therapy is a way to get at this type of nosoplastic pain. And for the people it works for, it's a, like a little bit of a miracle. It doesn't mean the pain is good forever. He still hasn't come off and on and we figure out what the heck is, you know, so stressful or awful or unacceptable. And it, he can work through the other side of it. So it's I have a test case <laughs> I, and I adore him and he's a wonderful he's a wonderful listener when how we can get at, at this crane together so that that's my little personal story and why I'm so passionate about getting this information in people's hands yeah it reminds me of a recent patient who has a lot of high stress that's sustained stress her mom has, uh, she's a caretaker for living with her mom now who's got dementia and her oh. husband has stage 4 cancer and oh as activity has decreased tremendously for mm -hmm. a variety of reasons from her yeah. baseline that I learned sure. recently used to be cleaning houses, walking five, six miles a day, working mm -hmm. out in her pre-stress life. And then mm -hmm. because of being a good daughter and providing, but with somebody who's got moderate or severe dementia and demands and fall risk and all of those things, has this pain in the back of her, in her back, upper chest. And of course, Husband has a lung cancer stage four diagnosis. Oh. Do I have this? And I said, we did an exam. We checked. She has no, what we call red flag. Yeah. I said, would you, I don't think we need an x-ray, but would that just offer some relief knowing what's happened just because your husband was a, was a surprise. Right. I'm sure we got it and it's normal. But 
you went for a walk. How does it feel? I don't notice it then. It's more when I'm sitting. I get, mm-hmm. And so hopefully that insight and that yeah. awareness at least recognize. And the hard part is when there is um, a caged stress, when you are going to have long sustained stress, yeah. that's a harder one. But that's mm-hmm. also an opportunity for support yeah. If there's somebody who to say this is therapy, you need to get your hour walk yes. in. So maybe a friend can just sit with your mom yeah. or a neighbor. Can you just sit so I can relax? So in case she goes to the bathroom or fall, and that is very therapeutic. And yet at the same time with your husband and that those are really trying things with her mom, with mm-hmm. his mom going through all of that. So these are really real and I think it's a challenge part of why that you have the research out there and getting Mm -hmm. it out there and here's a resource Mm -hmm. to say oh the brain does do that it's like it takes it into a protective hypervigilant state Mm -hmm. now it'll interpret every little noise in the house as a burglar yes and it could just be the wind blowing and the house settling or the cat walking across the floor but now you interpret that I gotta be on guard Mm -hmm. and that's no, we're not in war. No, but that's hard yeah. when you have those past memories and trying to retrain. That's where we will end this week's episode. We will pick up next week where Dr. Hassett shares more about some useful tools for helping us live better with chronic pain and related conditions like fibromyalgia. I hope you've gained some insights and enjoyed this episode and feel validated at a minimum and can relate to some of the vignettes. And if you can, if you leave a rating, review, and share this with others. That way more people can learn more about how to live better with fibromyalgia and related conditions. Until next week, go Team Fibro! Fibro!